Every time I wear a suit, somebody has to make a comment. You know, it's like, uh, you have a suit, that's amazing, I didn't believe it. I just want you guys to know I do that occasionally because I want this to be a come-as-you-are place. I want to know everybody's welcome, and we want to invite those even who are dressy. You know what I'm saying? Hey, man, we want even people who are dressy to feel free. Now, this is my Christmas Eve suit that I didn't get till Christmas, so I'll wear it today. Um, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Men, I appreciate that. That means a lot. Um, Hey, we're in a series called 2020 Vision, as, as well as every other church in the country is, I realized, right, you know? And, uh, but I remember Pastor Gene Apple a few years ago talking about getting some contact lenses. His, he didn't have any more, and he needed a new, some new ones, and he had a good exam. Everything was fine, but when he got home, he realized that he just couldn't see very well. It was just blurry vision, and and I uh, did this for a few days. He kept putting these contact lenses in, and every day he'd wake up and go, man, I just can't see very well. I just don't think that doctor did a good job. And finally he woke up one morning, he just reasoned to himself, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I took my left lens and put it on my right eye, and maybe I put the right lens in my left eye. Sure enough, he switched them. He could see with such better clarity. He could see with such better vision. And I feel like that's what we're doing here during this series. We're really just saying, God, we want to have your vision for our personal life, for our family, for our church, and our impact on the world. And, and, uh, and we want to do that with our families, don't we, with our relationships? Wouldn't it be great if we had God's vision in 2020 and beyond for our relationships? According to USA Today, 98% of us say that we want to improve our relationships. Now, I don't know who the other 2% are, but 98% of us want, want to. But when asked, how are we going to do that? Most of us respond, we don't know, we would like to, we're just too busy. We have an idea in our head about what it should look like, what kind of marriage we want to have, or what kind of relationship we want to have with our kids or our parents or those around us, but too often we work too hard at things that don't really matter. We, look, we work hard at peripherals. I heard this uh, story about a lady who bought a parrot. She loved the parrot because in the store it talked like crazy. And uh, she took it home and came back the next day, told the store manager, the parrot is not talking at all. And the store manager said, that's strange. He talks in here all the time. Buy him a mirror because they like to look in the mirror maybe and feel like they're talking to another bird. And so she did that. No talking. Next day, came back. Manager said, well, maybe get a ladder. They like to exercise. That'll help the bird. Maybe it'll help it feel better. Maybe it'll help it feel more like it at home. And, and then it'll start talking. Next day, no talking. She came back to the manager said, nothing happened. He said, well, buy a swing for the parrot. And maybe that'll help. And he likes to have a little fun. Finally, she came back the next day. She was sad. The store manager said, what happened? And she said, well, it's not going well. He said, why? So the parrot died. I said, what? Oh, no. What, what in the world happened? She said, well, the good news is he finally said something just before he died. And he's like, he did. What did he say? She said, only two words. Parrot food. I know. He bought everything else but forgot the essential. And I just think when it comes to relationships that we, we take care of some of the peripherals, but we forget the essentials. And so what I'm going to do today is just kind of unpack some essentials for you, all right? I'm going to just kind of go, what are the things that are most essential in relationships? And they're not coming from me. They're coming from the Apostle Paul, who wrote a letter to a group of people in a city called Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 4 and 5, we really see some keys in here on how to have better relationships. And the first one is just very simple. Care more care more. I mean, it seems so basic, but it's so often violated. What would happen in our relationships in 20 and 20 and beyond if we would just simply care more? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another. 
forgive one another just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Some people say the Bible is so hard. I say, really, just read verses like that. How hard to read and understand. Be kind and compassionate to each other. Forgive each other. If you follow that verse, do you think that would make a difference in your relationships? Your marriage, your kids, your parents? You see, the problem is we usually think about our schedule, our needs, our problems. And when somebody else asks us to do something, we hesitate or we avoid it. And I've been guilty of that. We get the call. I forgot to go to the store. Can you go instead? Yeah. Can you stop watching football and do the dishes before our guests come over tonight? Yeah. The toilet's clogged. Can you come unclog it? Look, didn't we have kids for a reason? Can't one of them unclog that thing? It's probably their fault anyway. Lisa's learned the trigger with me. She said, hey, can you, uh, can you cut in that air vent? I've been asking for several weeks. We need that for Ben's room. And if not, it's really no problem. I'll just call a handyman. How much do you think he's going to charge us anyway? I'll be right there. Caring makes sacrifices. And I just want to ask you today, are you making sacrifices? Paul says love is Christ's love. How did Christ love? He loved by making sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. And if you're not sure how to do that, Christ, uh, Paul gives us some tips here. In verse 25, he says, Therefore, and in other words, if you're going to care, you have to put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. If you're going to care in a relationship, caring tells the truth in love. I mean, how many of you know there's a right way to tell the truth and a wrong way to tell the truth? Your wife comes out of the dressing room with a high-waisted dress that's not very flattering. And you say, wow, that dress really makes, look, makes you look kind of fat. Your husband comes home from the gym. You say to him, whew, you stink. Get away from me. Don't do that. Your wife comes out of that dressing room. Wow, you're beautiful. That dress doesn't highlight that. <laughs> your, your husband comes home from the gym. Wow, look at all those muscles. I'm proud of you for working hard. Now go get showered and we'll have a nice meal together. Speak the truth, but do it in love. Parents, there's a way to correct and instruct your children and to tell them the truth, but at the same time, build them up to encourage them. I like what Kim Blanchard said about this. He said there's four reactions to behavior. No response, negative, positive, and redirective. Most common, no response. Somebody does something, nobody recognizes it, either at the work or at home. Nobody notices, nobody recognizes. You do it, nothing happens, good or bad, no feedback. The second main response is negative. He calls this seagull management, where people just come in, look around, swoop in, poop on everybody, and swoop back out. He says, don't do that. It's positive in redirection. He gives the, he gives the analogy of Shamu and the Shamu show. It's all positive or redirection. Put the rope under the water. If Shamu goes over, it gets a fish. If he goes under, he doesn't get a fish. Shamu's no dummy. Go over the rope, get a fish. Eventually, they take the rope out of the water. Why? Because it's not much of a show if it's below the water. They get the rope out of the water. Shamu jumps over. They get a, he gets a fish. Positive redirection. Don't avoid sharing your needs. Don't avoid telling the truth. Don't avoid offering positive feedback or redirective feedback. There is a way to do it. 
Verse 26 tells us, in your anger don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Caring means refusing to let go of resentment. Or, or it means letting go of, of resentment. And uh, don't even let the sun go down in your anger, he says. One time. Some of you have let the sun go down a hundred times on your anger. You're holding on to past mistakes. You're keeping score. It says if you want to care, you've got to let go of resentment. Verse 28, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Caring means working hard. Everyone carries their own load. Everyone participates. And friends, if you have a child or a family member who is freeloading, then you are not caring for them, and they are not caring for you. You're not doing the best thing for them. Then in verse 29, it says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Caring means building others up and refusing to tear them down. There is a difference between correction and criticism, and there is a difference between discipline and dumping on people. I like what Kim Blanchard said about this as well. He said he's got two Cocker Spaniels, Maddie and Nellie. His neighbor's got some dogs too. When those dogs go out in the yard, the neighbor yells at them and they don't come back. He says, get in here, get in here. They don't come back. And finally, when the dog does come back, they roll up that newspaper and they whip that dog. You're a bad dog. You're a stupid dog. I can't believe you did that. And so what do the dogs do next time? They stay out in the lawn a little longer. They don't want to get beat by that newspaper. He says he handles Nellie and Maddie a little differently. He says as soon as he comes, their little cocker spaniel ears are flopping all over the place, and they come running right in. They say, why? Because when they come in, he's giving them treats and burgers and hot dogs and whatever they want. You know, here you go, guys. And they're just so happy to be on there. Only do what is helpful for building others up. It doesn't mean we don't discipline, but there's a way to do it that is encouraging, that builds others up. And that's what we do. Because what happens to those dogs is when they come in, the ones that got beat, they avoid the punisher. They avoid the punisher. And that's what happens in marriages. One who is too critical, the other will avoid. The children who are too often disciplined harshly will often avoid their parents, and they will try to figure out ways to kind of shade their parents so that they don't understand what's really happening because they will avoid the punisher. Verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. If you want to make God cry, tear down people. If you want to grieve the Holy Spirit of God, be bitter. Have fits of anger. Have rage. For refuse to forgive. That's how to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. But if you want to do what God wants you to do, love people. Care for people. And he kind of summarizes it then by saying in verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So I just want to ask you, what words are you using? Are they compassionate? Are they loving? Are they encouraging? Are you forgiving each other just in Christ, as in Christ God forgave you? And are you doing it not only in your home, but your extended relationships? What about people you don't even know? Uh, uh, the week before Christmas, I was at uh, Emory Federal Credit Union and I was doing some transactions both for church as well as for home, and I go there every month, and I was talking to my teller, and beside me there was another teller there, and a, a woman came up, an elderly woman, and I, I, she was beginning to cry, and I didn't want to, you know, overhear, but I was, I was overhearing, and I was listening to what was happening, and, and my teller was kind of talking to me, and I was beginning to ignore what she was saying as I was focused on what was happening over here with this elderly lady, and 
The teller was very sweet and very compassionate. She handed her a tissue. She started to cry more. It became very obvious that this woman was lost. And, and a few minutes later, my transaction was finished. The teller over there clearly was being compassionate but wasn't sure what to do. And so I just turned and I said, ma'am, what is happening? Are you lost? And she said, I've done this three times recently. I'm supposed to be at my doctor right now, and I just don't remember where it is. Now she's almost getting angry, but frustrated, but tearful at the same time. I said, man, let's go over to the table. We'll sit down and talk for a little while. We sat down. The, my teller actually walked with us, and we all sat down together. And, and I just said, hey, can you tell me about your doctor? What, what, what's their name? Do you remember their number? I don't have their number. I said, how, do you, how about their, their name? She gave me her, their name, and I called the doctor. And I said, I've got so and Mrs. So-and-so here, and she's here. At the, what is she doing over there? I said, well, she's here. She's, she's lost. Oh, okay. And uh, I said, uh, she has an appointment. Can she come? They said, she's already 45 minutes late. She's not going to make it. They said, it's all the way in Finneytown. I said, all right, okay, it's fine. And, but it became pretty obvious they knew something was wrong, too. And, and maybe they were already aware of that in the past. I don't know. And I asked the lady, I said, well, you're not going to be able to go to your doctor today. But is your, uh, do, you have a, do you have any family? She said, I've got two daughters, but I don't want to bother them. I don't want to bother them at all. And I, I said, uh, what about, do you have a husband? Oh, he's, I've got a husband. He's in a nursing home. He's got dementia. And, and uh I said, well, okay, how about your address? Do you, what about your address? Do you remember how? I'm not sure how to get home. I said, she gave me an address, and she had kind of transposed a number in her address. I Googled it. It didn't show up. Then she corrected it. Then I looked it up. Then I found it. And I realized she's having some memory issues, obviously. And, and uh, I said, ma'am, um, do, you, do you think maybe the medication that you're on maybe is causing some memory loss? Or you ever gone to your doctor for a little dementia oh i don't have dementia my husband has dementia i don't have dementia she said i said well that's a topic i need to avoid all right so i'll avoid that one now and i said um let me have that address i said uh how about how about we just go home i'll we'll go home together i'll i'll make sure i take you there I, it's on my way it was just a little white lie it wasn't totally on my way but i was like let's go on over to your house and we got over there and and uh, she was there safely. I really tried to get her to give me her daughter's number. She would not do it, did not want to bother her daughter. But I knew somebody needed to know about this. And I called the teller back at the bank, and I said, this, uh, this lady, um, I, she told me that her daughter's on her account. Can you look on her account? Could, I know I can't call her, but could you call her? Because somebody needs to tell, hey, this, is, uh, this lady's lost, and she's having some memory issues. And maybe you could take a few moments. She's like, oh, absolutely. I was so concerned about this, she said. And I'll call. I'll make sure that her daughter knows. And then she paused, and she said this. She said, I just want you to know what you did today. She said, I didn't know what to do. And she said, I just am not used to seeing that. And I had two thoughts when I heard that. One, it's really sad that we don't have time for our fellow man, you know? And the second thing I thought was, how many times, maybe I got it right in that occasion, how many times have I walked by somebody that's in my circle of influence that I didn't notice or didn't pay attention to, or maybe the signs weren't so obvious, but they were still crying out for help? Jesus said, or Paul said in Ephesians 5, 1, walk in the way of love. Walk in the way of love. That means everywhere you go, you are on the lookout. And friends, wouldn't it make a difference in our relationships if in 2020 we just simply cared more? And what about this one? What if we cooperated more? What if in our homes we cooperated more? Ephesians 5, 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That involves cooperation, working together, making mutual decisions. Don't just fight to prove a point. Ecclesiastes and Solomon writes in chapter 4, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. 
Also, if two lie together, they can keep warm, but how can he be warm all alone? The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And Solomon describes this as mutual benefit, mutual support, mutual encouragement, mutual strength that happens in relationships. And there are a lot of complicated issues as we face in relationships, but I believe if we're going to embrace God's vision for 2020 and beyond, we have to work together better. More relationships die of inflexibility than any other cause. We are unwilling to change, unwilling to compromise, unwilling to give in. So, some conclude, well, we're just incompatible. Dr. Paul Pompano, director of Institute for Families, says, I don't believe that incompatibility exists. Almost any two people are compatible if they want to be and if they will try hard. Incompatibility, though, is used as the leading cause for divorce. But I think a better word is inflexibility. I believe there are times in our relationships that they fail because we choose to dig in on an issue. We're not going to give in on our position. We're not going to give in on the issue, so we hang on for dear life. But friends, our marriages and our homes require us at times to compromise and to be flexible. And the key word for that is humility. Humility means we believe that the relationship is more important than the, than the issue. I mean, how many times do we dig in? We dig in because we, we want to focus on winning. We want to win the argument. And friends, you can win the argument and lose the relationship. And so we need to reconcile. Reconciliation means we want to step back, reestablish the relationship. There are times where we just need to reestablish the relationship. We may not resolve every issue, by the way. You don't have to resolve every issue to reconcile the relationship. There are sometimes we're going to have differences. And we need to recognize that we can reconcile and not have resolution to every issue. Some issues need to be resolved, but sometimes my pride wants to win every point. But sometimes we just need to let it go. Cooperation says I don't need to have a resolution to every issue. The relationship is more important than the issue. We need to realize we can walk hand in hand, and we don't have to see eye to eye. We're not going to resolve everything. Work together. When one author said opposites attract, but when they get married, they attack. That happens to us. Parents, cooperate in your parenting. Parenting is not a one-way street. It should not be good guy, bad guy. It shouldn't be one is always giving toys and all that stuff, and the other one's always the mean person. It should work together. We should share with each other. And parents, if you disagree on an issue or on an approach, please don't do that in front of your kids. Come together on the approach, walk out of the room, and then agree together. And you still might have two differences of opinion. Well, you're not going to give just based on who's the guy and who's the girl. You're going to give based on who has a better idea. And sometimes they're both good ideas, and one of you just needs to say, all right, we'll go with yours this time. But if you are a loser this time, I get the idea next time, all right? You got to come to an agreement. Another area we need to cooperate is in sharing our faith in our home. Both, both of us have to take a lead in that. Both of us are responsible for seeing that that happens and continuing to make sure that our kids are raised in church, they understand godly priorities, they understand what's most important. That's both of your jobs. We cooperate together. And then finally, we need to commit more. If we're going to improve, not only we need to improve in the area of caring and cooperating, but also committing. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved and gave himself up for his, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. Christ was the ultimate in commitment. 
He, he, and, and the Bible says, he's saying our relationships, we need to have that kind of commitment, a sacrificial commitment that goes to the end. And when I say commit more, I'm not saying commit to more activities. Goodness knows we have enough of that. We have a busy schedule. I'm saying make the most of every opportunity and commit to the things that are most important. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 15, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity, for the days are evil. The days are short. You ever think about that? I may have mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but it has dawned on me lately that I know my parents pretty well. I knew my grandparents fairly well. We didn't have deep, deep conversations all the time, but I knew them fairly well on both sides. But I think about my great-grandparents. My great-grandparents, I only knew one, Melinda. She was a lot Indian, by the way. Some say Cherokee, some aren't sure. But regardless, she was uh, at least half Indian, I think. See, I don't even know that. Isn't that terrible? And we never had one conversation that was really deep at all. In fact, I only have one picture where I remember her in at all. My other grandparents, my great-grandparents, I would struggle even to remember their names. Here's what I'm saying. Within three generations, friends, you're forgotten. I'm just telling you. Now, for me, that's a big deal. I'm like, what? Three generations? I forgot because I'm trying to make my mark on this earth, man. Are you kidding me? Three generations, your own family won't remember you were here. They'll have some picture out there. They'll go, wow, who's that? I don't even know. I don't know any stories of that person at all. I always think it's funny when Josh gets up here and talks about how he's getting older. You know, I love that. I'm like, in the back, like, <laughs> just wait, my man, just wait. I'm like, me, I mean, you know you're getting older when, like, you wake up in the morning and you're like, everything hurts. You're like, what the heck happened in sleep last night? You know, like, what did I do? You're like, what happened? You're hurting. I, I don't know, did I deadlift last night in bed? What did I do? I have no idea. But I wake up, I'm like, ow. That's when you know you're getting older. You know what I'm saying? All God's old people said, Amen. I know. You couldn't even hear me. Forget it. You don't even know what I'm saying. You guys, you're losing it. But anyway, it's the truth. We get older and we're forgotten. And here's what I'm saying to you. Most of the pursuits of our life, not only will you be forgotten, but the pursuits of your life will be forgotten unless they are the main thing. The only thing that matters is what Jesus said. Love God, love people. That's it. That's it. How did you love God and how did you love people? That's your legacy. That's your only legacy. Not what your financial portfolio is, not how many toys you had, not what a good employee or worker you had, because within two generations, those plaques will be long gone and people won't even remember your name. I'm just trying to give you perspective here, friends. Love God, love people, that's it. You do that, that's a legacy to last. I asked my mom the other day, I said, now tell me, was, uh, was grandparents, parents, were they Christians? I don't even know. Oh, yes. Your great-grandmother, she's very involved in that church, and Grace in Kentucky, and she taught a women's study. Did you know your great-grandfather, your great-grandfather, he went down the street to a Methodist church. They didn't even go to church together. But that Bible study, that just continued on. And then this other lady, and then your Aunt Blanche, she took over that Bible study, and they kept doing that. And here's what I'm saying. The only thing that matters is their relationship with God that then was passed to generation to generation to generation to generation. Does this make sense to you guys? Love God, love people. Commit more. Commit more to the things that actually matter in your life. Commit more to the time and energy and focus that you have so that you can put it on the right priorities. The relationship issues, the home issues that we have are complex. I understand that sometimes things aren't going to go great. Some, some marriages do end in divorce. These are difficult issues that we're dealing with today. But you're going to have a much better time succeeding if you just simply do these things. Care more for one another. Cooperate more and be flexible. 
and commit more to the things that actually matter. And some of you are going, yeah, but I can't do everything. My so-and-so needs to do more. I'm alone in this. I'm just telling you, you're not responsible for them or their part. I can't do Lisa's part. I can't do my kid's part. That's not fair. I can't say, well, if she would do this and do that, then things would get better. Or if my kids would do this more, or my kids might say if my dad would do this more. I would venture to say some of you guys in this room have already been thinking that. Hey, my husband needs to hear this message. My wife, I wish she would have done that. Listen, I'm talking to you today. You have to look in the mirror. How are you caring more? How are you cooperating more? How are you committing more? Only you can do your part. That's what you're responsible for, and that's all. And then God does his part. you got to let him do his part. And I'm just asking all of us today to say, what can we do? So rather than putting people down around us to build them up, what can we do to make our family and our relationships and our world a little bit better? What word can you speak today to somebody who needs it? In the book, The Whisper Test, Marianne Bird writes about growing up with a cleft palate, and she was very embarrassed and struggled through this a lot, and she felt like people were down on her all the time, and they made fun of her, and she felt like her life wasn't, didn't matter at all. And, and she said, but one day, everything changed when she took a hearing test at school and Mrs. Leonard gave her that test to everybody in the class and finally it was her turn and Mrs. Leonard knew my story very well and, and she knew me and, and she said uh, normally they would say things in your ear like the sky's blue or do you have new shoes or things like this and she said I waited for what words would be spoken by this to te- teacher and she said they were words that God must have put in her mouth those seven words that changed my life Mrs. Leonard said in her whisper I wish you were my little girl And she said those seven words changed her life. Seven words that made a difference in the the life of a little girl. And I'm just asking you, who in your life needs words that will build them to who they need to become? Who can you champion? Who can you encourage? Who can you lift up? Who can you build in your world so that their life will be changed as well? That, my friends, is the legacy that lasts. God, we just thank you today for loving us and for giving us Christ. And God, I pray today that all of us would remember what does it mean to have the right kind of priorities, to care more, commit more, cooperate more. God, the thing that lasts, the thing that makes a difference is our legacy, our legacy of faith and love. That's what matters. Not how much we made, not how little we made, not what kind of plaques we have, not what kind of awards we were given as an acclaim. God, it matters what we do in our relationships. God, we pray for that, pray for that legacy. And God, we just pray that we be on the lookout all the time for people that we can love as we walk in the way of Christ, as we walk in the way of love. We pray this in Jesus' name.